Focus on God's Word with Pastor Danny Milenkov. Welcome to the Search for Certainty. It's good to see you all here today, and I know that we're going to enjoy this journey into God's Word. The Search for Certainty is a series that I believe uh, is so important for the times that we are living in, because we are indeed living in very uncertain times, as we are all very well aware. Today's first message in this series is entitled, Living on the Edge of Eternity. And I believe that we are indeed living on the edge of eternity, awaiting the greatest event that is about to take place, and that is the soon return of Jesus. I want to begin by taking a look at this wonderful and most incredible story that we're all very well familiar. The story of the Titanic, the most famous ship that has ever set sail. The Titanic set sail back in April of 19. 12, April 10, 1912, headed to New York on its maiden voyage. It was the most uh, luxurious, the greatest, the grandest ship that had ever been built up until that time. In fact, it had a swimming pool, the first ship to have a swimming pool on board. And so as the Titanic set sail, this indestructible ship that not even God himself could sink, as someone, uh, as someone said as the, as the Titanic set sail. The whole world wondered as to how quickly the Titanic would make it from one side of the Atlantic to the other. But as we all know, four days into the maiden voyage, the Titanic struck an iceberg at about 20 to 12 on April 14. Two hours and 40 minutes later, the Titanic sunk. Sadly, 1,500 of the 2,200 individuals on board lost their lives in this great tragedy. This was the front page headline of the London Herald back on April 16, 1912. Great loss of life. Titanic, the tragic story. And indeed, it was a tragic story. You see, the Titanic had received many warnings that there were icebergs ahead. In fact, on the last day, uh, we know of at least four warnings that the Titanic received. But none of those warnings were taken seriously and some of them were not even recorded and relayed to those that needed to receive them. The Titanic was going way too fast. In the ensuing investigation that took place in London and New York to determine why the Titanic um, came to grief, a number of things were discovered that, that helped us understand that the Titanic was not doing what it should have been doing. It was going way too quickly. Um, it was not taking heed to the conditions. And sadly, 1,500 individuals lost their lives. I want to take a look at the final message that the Titanic received on that fateful evening on April 14. But before we take a look at that, I want to introduce you to three individuals that were key individuals there on the Titanic. We have there Joseph Ismay, who was the owner of the Titanic. We have Captain Edward Smith. And we have Jack Phillips, who was the the radio operator, the one who was receiving and sending messages. Now, Joseph Ismay, the owner, he wanted to set the record. He wanted to set the record for the fastest journey from one side of the Atlantic to the other. This is in the days before aeroplanes were commuting individuals from one side to the other. And so there was the prestige and there there was the fame and honor associated with who could get 
the passengers from point A to point B in the quickest possible time. And so instead of slowing down, he said full steam ahead, although there were many warnings that were given of icebergs ahead. Now, Captain Edward Smith, he was under a lot of pressure in order to comply with what the owner wanted. And Jack Phillips, on the other hand, he was very busy sending private messages of some of the rich and famous um, to, to those there in New York. One of the messages that came through, the final message was from a Mr. Cyril Firmston Evans, and this was on board the California. Now, the California was only 15 miles away from the Titanic when the Titanic struck that iceberg. And notice these words that came out of the investigation um, into the Titanic tragedy. Mr. Cyril Firmston Evans, 20, was wireless operator aboard the California. On the night of April 14, 1912, he warned Titanic that ice in the vicinity had forced, had forced them to stop, but he was rudely rebuffed by the wireless operator of the Titanic, that is Jack Phillips, who was sending private messages to the wireless relay station at Cape Race. After this, Evans turned in for the night, thus failing to hear the distress signals from Titanic, which were broadcast a short while later. You see, at 11.30, 10 minutes before the Titanic struck, Evans went to bed. Now, what was this rude rebuff that he received from Jack Phillips? We have the words, the exact words that Jack Phillips shared with Evans. Here they are. Shut up, shut up. I'm busy, I'm working Cape Race. They were the final words, the final message. Shut up, shut up, I'm working Cape Race. Ten minutes later, the Titanic struck the iceberg. The only ship, as it turned out, that could actually do something and save the people on the Titanic was the California. That was the ship that was nearest to the Titanic. And it would have taken the California about an hour and a half to get to the Titanic. And it would have had about an hour and 10 minutes before the Titanic sunk to try and rescue as many people as could have been rescued. The only ship the only ship that could have made a difference was told to shut up. How sad, how tragic. As I think of this story, I cannot help but think of the words that Jesus shared with us 2,000 years ago. The words that Jesus shared with the world in connection with his second coming. Now, what will our attitude be to these messages of warning, these messages of love, we can make a decision today as to how we will respond. Today, we want to take a look at the words of Jesus. Today, we want to take a look at the words of God's word. And we're going to begin by asking God to bless our time together in his word. So let's just bow our heads as we pray. Father in heaven, as we're about to open up your word, we pray that you will open up our hearts and our minds, that we may be willing and able to receive the messages that you have for us in these in these uncertain times, Lord, we are seeking for certainty from your precious word. So we pray that you will guide and lead us through your Holy Spirit in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. I want to begin by taking a look at uh, one of the most famous sermons that Jesus shared on the eve of his crucifixion found there in Matthew chapter 24. And notice how 
Matthew begins his account. Matthew chapter 24 and verse 1. Then Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came up to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said to them, Do you not see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone shall be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. And so Jesus here makes an incredible statement. He told the disciples that this temple, that is the pride of the nation of Israel will one day be destroyed and not one stone will be left upon another. Now we're going to take a look at this story in a future presentation, in the third presentation. But the disciples believed that this would bring about the end of the world. And so notice what the, what the disciples do and what they say. In Matthew 24, verse 3, we keep reading. Now, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in various places." Nonsense, say the skeptics. These aren't really signs of Jesus coming. We've always had individuals that have claimed to be Christ. We've always had wars and rumors of wars and pestilences and earthquakes and famines. These aren't signs at all. Well, Jesus went on and he gave us incredible, conclusive evidence of what we were to look for regarding these signs. Notice what he went on and said in verse 8. All these are the beginning of sorrows, sorrows. That's a very interesting word that Jesus used for sorrows. The word for sorrows that Jesus used is the word labor pains, labor pains or contractions. So what here, what Jesus was saying was that, yes, these these signs will be evident all the way from from my day all the way till the second coming. But like labor pains, They will intensify in frequency and severity. That is the significance of the words of Jesus. So today we want to take a look at these signs, these signs of Jesus, which will be visible. They will be progressive and they will be climactic, just like those labor pains. So the question is, can we know the exact time of Jesus coming? That's a good question, isn't it? That's a question that a lot of people want to know. Can we know the exact time when Jesus will come? Notice what Jesus said in Matthew 24 and verse 36. But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but who? My Father only. My Father only. So we cannot know the exact time of Jesus coming. Why is that? Because human nature being human nature, we would leave our run until when? Until right at the very end. And so the world would not truly be converted. The world would not really be in love with Jesus. The world will not be fit for the kingdom of God. And so heaven would be far worse than this world ever has been. And so Jesus says, you cannot know the exact day of my coming. 
It's important that we are ready. It's important that our motives are right when it comes to the coming of Jesus. But Jesus balanced up that statement with these words. In Matthew 24, verse 32, Jesus said, Now learn this parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. So you also, when you see all these things, know that it, that is, his second coming is near even at the what? even at the doors. So we cannot know the exact day when Jesus will come, but we can certainly know when it is near, even at the door. Just like a woman, she does not know the very moment that baby will be born, but once those labor pains begin and they intensify, she knows that the baby is about to be born. She knows that it is near. Today, right now, we are living in the time of spring. And we are seeing the the flowers budding and we are seeing new life. And we know that what time of the season is near? Summer is near. In the same way, when we see these labor pains intensifying, when we see different world events that we're going to be studying in these next three presentations all coming together, when we see them all climaxing at the same time, when we see all the graphs heading north exponentially all at the same time, that tells us that the coming of Jesus is near even at the doors. So let's ask some very important questions that by God's grace we will seek to answer. Is the coming of Jesus even at the door? How big are the contractions on planet Earth? Are they getting bigger? And the most important question of all, how should we respond to the signs of the times? It doesn't matter that you and I know the signs of the times if we are not ready to meet Jesus. Knowing these things will not save anybody. The only thing that will save us is a relationship with Jesus. That's the only thing that will save us. All these signs are designed to draw us to Jesus, are designed to bring us to a point of seriousness, are designed to bring our priorities to the place where they need to be. And so as we take a look at these signs, we want to take a look at how we can respond. And I believe that this message will bring us great hope and great certainty in these times of uncertainty that we live in. Notice what Jesus said in Matthew 24 and verses 42 to 44. Jesus said, Watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore you also what? Be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. So the message of Jesus is clear. Watch and be ready always. Be ready always. And the truth is, we do not know when our last day on planet Earth will be, do we? Does anyone have any idea when they're going to breathe their last? No, we have no certainty. And so Jesus says, be ready always. That way, whenever it is that I come or whenever it is that you breathe your last, you are safe and secure in my arms. Because the truth and the reality is that the day I breathe my last, I have made my decision for or against Jesus, for or against eternity with him. And so Jesus made it clear, be ready now, be ready always, watch and be ready. In fact, this is not something that Jesus shared once or twice, over and over again. We don't have time to take a look at all these scriptures, um, but I've just pulled out just those, those all important points that Jesus is seeking 
to encourage us to watch in Matthew 25, 13. Mark 13, verse 37, Jesus says, And I say to you, I say to all, watch. In Luke 21, verse 36, watch therefore and pray always. And then finally, in the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible, Revelation 16, 15, Jesus, these are the words of Jesus, Behold, I am coming as a thief. Blessed is he who what? Watches. So the importance of watching cannot be understated. And Jesus shares that over and over again. So today we want to begin by taking a look at signs in the political world. Signs you can't ignore. Signs in the political world. In Matthew 24, verse 6, let's take a look at these words that we've just read. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. Now, the truth is, ever since Cain killed his brother Abel, conflict has been part and parcel of this sin-sick world that we live in. There have been wars and rumors of wars for the past 6,000 years. But the significance of Jesus' statement and remembering the analogy that he used of labor pains, Jesus predicted that just before his coming, there would be conflicts on an international scale, on a global scale, such as we have not witnessed in the history of this world. And sure enough, the last century, there were almost 200 million people that were killed due to war and conflict. World War I took the lives of some 20 million people. And it's called World War I because what? World War II followed, where there was more death and more destruction and more loss of life. Today, we are living in a world that is best summed up by this front page of this Time magazine. I subscribe to Time magazine and it gives me a, a handle on what's happening in the world. Um, don't have too much time to look at the news or to see what is taking place. And Time magazine is, is a good magazine that just gives me gives me. In a nutshell, some of the key events that are taking place. And this was the front cover of Time magazine back in January 12, 2009. Notice that word, again, again. And that sums up the world that we live in. You turn on your news, again, there is another conflict that has um, broken out in some part of the world. Again, there is, there is a rumor of another war about to brew. There is conflict everywhere, again, again, and again. Notice what the Apostle Paul said regarding our times. See, in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 1, the Apostle Paul wrote, But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. Now, the last days, according to Scripture, began with the coming of Jesus and would continue all the way through the through to the second coming of Jesus. Now you're thinking, how does that work, Danny? The last days, I thought the last days were right at the end. Well, Jesus, through his sacrifice, ushered in the last days of human history. We could spend a lot of time on that, but we don't have time. But the importance of the last days is that the last days, just like those labor pains, will intensify until the very end of those last days, which is the coming of Jesus. And so the Apostle Paul here speaks of the last days and he says, perilous times will come. That word there, perilous, I looked it up in the original 
Greek, which is what the New Testament was written in. And that word literally means difficult, dangerous, hazardous, risky, unsafe, treacherous, times fraught with great danger. Does that describe the times that we're living in? Absolutely. Today we live in a time when we have the capability to destroy this world a number of times over. We know of, we know of eight countries that have nuclear weapons. There's a couple of others like Iran and North Korea that we're not quite sure. The jury's out as to where they're at with their, with, 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 with their nuclear aspirations. But we have the ability today for the first time in human history to destroy this planet a number of times over. We are living indeed in perilous times, unlike at any other time in human history. These are clear signs that we are living at the very end of time. And the coming of Jesus, as he pointed out, was even at the doors. I find this statement from the book of Revelation fascinating, incredible, prophetic. Notice these words from the book of Revelation, chapter 11 and verse 18. John, the revelator writes, The nations were angry and your wrath has come and the time of the dead that they should be judged and that you should reward your servants, the prophets and the saints. Notice the context of John's words here are very clearly the second coming of Jesus. It's at the second coming of Jesus that Jesus gives his rewards to his servants, the prophets and the saints. It's at the second coming of Jesus that that judgment takes place. Notice John goes on. And those who fear your name, small and great, and that you should destroy those who are destroy the earth. When John wrote these words at the end of the first century, some 1900 years ago, these words were laughable. The mockers and the scoffers and the skeptics, they had a field day. How is it possible that humans will come to the point where they have the opportunity, where they have the capability to destroy this world. Could you destroy the world 1900 years ago? Absolutely not. What did they use for warfare? They had knives, spears, bows and arrows, catapults possibly, horses. That's what they had for their, for their war and for their military. There was no way you could destroy the world with, with, with such weaponry. But nobody's laughing today, are they? Nobody's laughing today. For the first time in human history, these words are fulfilled. We today have the capability to destroy the earth. But I thank God for his word. I thank God for his holy word. I thank God for that same book of Revelation where God says that humans will not destroy this world. The Bible tells us in the book of Revelation that God will hold back the winds of strife. You can read about that in Revelation chapter 7. That God's four angels will hold back the winds of strife so that humans will not come to the point where they will destroy this world because the coming of Jesus will be the climax of human history. It will be the coming of Jesus that will put an end to life on planet Earth as we know it, not man. And so I thank God for His Word because it gives me certainty in these uncertain times. I can go to bed knowing that all will be well. 
relatively speaking, in the world, and that man will not do what man may want to do if it was left up to man alone. I love these words from Matthew 24, verse 35. You'll notice that we're spending a lot of time in Matthew 24. This is a key chapter on the signs of Jesus coming along with Mark chapter 13 and Luke 21. Notice here what Jesus says in Matthew 24, verse 35. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. You can take the word of God to the bank. We can put our certainty, our faith, we can put our confidence in God's word. Heaven and earth will pass away, but God's word will never pass away. This is true. This is faithful. You and I can have total confidence and 100% certainty in God's word. And I thank God for his word. Notice these words from the book of Isaiah, chapter 40 and verse 8. The, grace, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands for how long? It stands forever. God's word stands forever. And I thank God that we have his word. In Luke chapter 21 and verse 25, this is the parallel passage to Matthew 24, as I've mentioned, along with Mark chapter 13. Here Jesus gives us these words. Luke here uh, fills in a few gaps that, that, that Matthew misses out on. And here we read the words, And there shall be distress of nations with perplexity. And once again, this is in the context of right at the end of time. This world is described by Jesus as a time where there will be great distress and perplexity. I looked up those words, distress and perplexity, so that I could be sure of what Jesus was saying. Notice these words, and they're just straight out of your dictionary. Extreme anxiety, sorrow or pain, perplexity, the inability to deal with or understand something. Does that describe our time? Does that describe the titanic issues that our world leaders are grappling with? It absolutely does. We're living in a time of great perplexity, of great distress, and, and there, are, there are just too many questions and not enough answers. And things are becoming more and more strenuous. Jesus went on in Luke chapter 21 and verse 26. Men's hearts failing them from fear and the expectation of those things which are coming on the earth. Fear. What's another word for fear? Terror. Terror. Anyone familiar with the word terror? We absolutely are. Sadly, fear is part and parcel of life on planet earth today. And notice what the dictionary defines fear as an unpleasant emotion caused by the threat of danger, pain or harm. So you put these three words together, distress, perplexity and fear. And this is a perfect summary of the world that we live in today. We will never forget where we were or what was taking place in our lives when September 11 took place. We are all well familiar that it was on this day that the world changed forever. The newspaper headlines around the world, this world will never be the same again. Has the world changed since September 11? Absolutely. This world has changed dramatically. This Time magazine Back in 2010, December 6, 
was an interesting magazine because it looked to compare what this world was like in the year 2000 as to what it was like at the end of the first decade of the third millennium, at the end of 2009. It had many statistics um, of different areas of life. And I took a look at this very interesting statistic, which I want to share with you. Terrorist attacks around the world. In the year 2000, there were 423 terrorist attacks around the world that were recorded. Notice, in 2009, we have 11,000 terrorist attacks recorded around the world. Almost 4,500 in Iraq and Afghanistan alone. Now, let me ask you, have the labor pains intensified? Absolutely. Absolutely. You can clearly see that the distress, the fear, the perplexity has intensified. And today, terrorism is just part of life. It's the new way of doing life. You go to the airport, you go to the bus station, you go to the restaurant, you go to wherever you fill in the blank, and we have no idea whether we will come home safely. Terrorism today is sadly a household word. Wars and rumors of wars, there is so much conflict. In fact, it's, it's, become, it's become normal. We can sit at home and eat our spaghetti, we can eat our salad, we can eat our potatoes and we can watch the news and yes, there's another terrorist strike somewhere in the Middle East or somewhere in Africa and we're like, whatever, pass me the potatoes. We've become blasé, we've become conditioned, we're used to it. And unless a terrorist attack takes place in the middle of one of our large cities here in Australia or somewhere in the Western world, we don't even blink an eyelid. It's just normal. It's normal. That's the kind of world we're living in. The refugee crisis. Today, we have some 60 million people that are displaced from their homes due to war and conflict. More so than at any other time since World War II. Today, today, this very day, 40,000 people, men, women and children will have to leave their homes due to war and conflict. We only see a little bit on the television. It's not just in Europe. It's not just coming out of the Middle East. It's all over the world. And so we're living in very, very difficult times. Notice these words from the Prime Minister of Australia. On the day before the election, the day before the federal election, he stated this on ABC radio. I was driving and, um, and I was listening to an interview with the prime minister and, um, and I stopped the car and I jotted down these words that he shared. So this is the day before the election, July 1, 2016. We are living in uncertain times. We are experiencing unprecedented changes globally at unprecedented speed. And then he went on to, to state that that's why the 23 million Australians need to vote for my government, which will provide for security and stability and blah, blah, blah. He is stating, he is clearly stating the times that we are living in. We are indeed living in unprecedented times of unprecedented uh, instability, uncertain times. And that's why the search for certainty begins and ends with Jesus.
The search for certainty begins and ends in God's word. The search for certainty begins and ends in the hope that we have in Jesus. It must begin there. It must begin there. That is our only hope, our only safety and security. Notice this front page from Time magazine back in 2009, December 7, the decade from hell. Subtitle, and why the next one will be better. When Time magazine took a look at our first decade of the new millennium, it, it, it described the first decade of this third millennium that was supposed to be an age of prosperity and peace for all as the decade from hell. I don't know about you, but this decade, this new decade hasn't, hasn't done anything for me. This was the front cover of Time magazine at the end of 2015, World War ISIS. We've had World War I, we've had World War II, and now we have World War ISIS. The Apostle Paul spoke of our day in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 3. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. Peace and safety. We are living in a time when world leaders are seeking for peace and safety. The United Nations, a place designed where, where nations can come together and without war and without conflict settle their disputes. I find it interesting that the United Nations logo has, has two olive branches that circle the world. These olive branches, a symbol for what? A symbol for peace circling the world. And yet we find ourselves living in a time of less stability and less peace and less security and safety. That is why the words of Jesus are the only words that we can put our faith and trust in. Notice these words from Jesus in John chapter 16 and verse 33. Jesus said, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have what? Peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. In Jesus alone we can have peace. Jesus here made it abundantly clear that in this world we will have tribulation. In this world, we will have trouble. In this world, there will be distress. There'll be perplexity. There'll be fear. But Jesus says, in me, you can have peace. And that's the wonderful assurance that we have, that in these uncertain times, we can have peace in Jesus Christ. In Him alone, He is the Prince of Peace, the Bible tells us. The wonderful Prince of Peace. That is why Jesus is our only hope. That is why we have the Apostle Paul writing these wonderful words in Titus chapter 2 and verse 13, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That is why the second coming is the great and grand theme that goes from one end of Scripture all the way to the other. It appears more than 1,500 times, the coming of Jesus. That is the blessed hope. I pray for the government. I pray for our politicians, but our politicians don't have what it takes to solve the titanic problems that this world faces. Our only hope is in Jesus. Our only hope is in His second coming. That's why the Apostle Paul speaks of the second coming as the blessed hope. Let's take a look at another sign that Jesus gave us. We're going to take a look at signs in the world of nature. 
Jesus said, and there will be famines, pestilences and earthquakes in various places. Let's begin by taking a look at famines. Today, one billion people in the world don't have enough to eat. I know that's something that you and I cannot comprehend because we, like those who live in the Western world, live in a, in, in a land of plenty. We have problems here because we eat too much, not because we don't eat enough. But sadly, one billion people are going to bed hungry every night. That is, those who manage to make it through the day. Some 20,000 people die every single day due to hunger-related diseases. And most of them, as you're aware, are children. Jesus talked about pestilences. What are pestilences? Well, pestilences are strange and overwhelming diseases that affect huge population masses. One pestilence that we have had, and some of you may be familiar with it, was the Black Death or the Black Plague that swept through Europe, where, where some 75 to 200 million people lost their lives during those years in, in the 1400s when the Black Plague just, just took the lives of, of millions and millions and millions of people. We are living now in a time where a pestilence uh, of, 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 of such significance could sweep the world in a matter of hours, literally, with the way that we travel today. You know, you can be from one side of the world to the other side of the world in a day. Isn't that right? In 24 hours. And so disease today can spread like at no other time in human history. The Zika virus. We're familiar with that currently, but there have been many others. And who knows what's going to take place tomorrow? Who knows what, what virus will be on the radar tomorrow or, or, or next week or next month? It's a mysterious illness with devastating effects. Is the next public health crisis in your backyard? Who knows? Who knows? That's, that's the uncertain world that we live in. But once again, I thank God that in His Word, we can have peace and security. In His Word, we can have hope. In His Word, no matter what happens around us, as we, as we looked at the words of Jesus earlier, we can have peace. We can have peace in these uncertain times. This was uh, an article that I, I stumbled across as I was doing a little bit of research in this area, entitled, it was from National Geographic back in 2015, January 14, Mass Animal Die-Offs are on the rise, killing billions and raising questions. And then the subtitle there, huge animal die-offs along with disease outbreaks and other population stresses are happening more often. We ought not to be surprised because Jesus gave us that analogy of labor pains. And so we are to expect that just before the coming of Jesus, there will be more disease, there will be more war, there will be more famine, there will be more of all these signs that Jesus gave to us before His coming. So we're not to be surprised because these things are all designed to help us realize that the coming of Jesus is near. This was a very concerning Time magazine front cover 
a world without bees. And back in 2013, August 19, a world without bees. The price we'll pay if we don't figure out what's killing the honeybee. Are you aware that, that we're losing millions and millions and possibly billions of bees? They're being wiped out. I have a brother-in-law who, <clears throat> who operates a, a, a large a farm there in Queensland. He grows berries and raspberries and figs. And he was sharing with me just the other day that he's having to pay more and more for the bees that are being placed there on his farm that he has to pay for in order to pollinate um, his, his, his fruit. He's having to pay more and more because there is less and less to go around. And so imagine a world without bees. Well, I can't imagine a world without bees. We'd be in a whole heap of trouble, isn't that right? The bees uh, are the very foundation for our food supply, as we are all well aware. The Apostle Paul in the book of Romans summed up this world in his day, let alone in our day. Romans 8:22. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. The Apostle Paul here is saying that all of creation is laboring. He's using those same words that Jesus used of labor pains. He's using the same words that the Apostle Paul used when he spoke of the time of the end, when, when, when this world will experience labor pains such as it has never experienced before. The whole world, the whole creation is groaning. And as we take a look at this world, whether it be, whether it be the environment, whether it be some of the things taking place in the natural world, natural disasters, in whatever sphere of life, as we take a look at it, we can, we can see that things are not right and this world is groaning. Climate change, we're all familiar with climate change. And yes, there are those that believe that climate change is um, man-made, as in, as in we have a lot that we have contributed towards the, the rise in temperature and, and, and the rise in natural disasters. Then there are those that are saying, well, it's just, it's just the way it is and we don't really have too much. I do know that today this world is experiencing distress on a scale that it has not, not seen in a long, long time. The Secretary General Ban Ki-moon of the United Nations Speaking of climate change, he said that humanity has never faced a greater challenge. And it's true. The last 15 years, some of you will be aware of this, the last 15 years, each year has been the hottest on record. You remember hearing that? We hear that every year. We hear that every year. Since records began in 1880, this is what, that, this is what the scientists are telling us. The, 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 the weather people, since 1880, from the year 2001... All the way to today, every year has been getting hotter and hotter and hotter and hotter. And last year was the hottest on record, 15 years in a row. In fact, I saw an article just recently that in the Middle East, temperatures were reaching 60 degrees Celsius. Now, for our viewers that are that are watching and they only deal with Fahrenheit. I'm not quite sure what that is. I should have probably found that out earlier. It's probably up around 120 or somewhere there, 130. I don't know, 125. 60 degrees Celsius. And, it's, and it's, it's at the point where humans cannot exist in that kind of heat. We struggle with 40 degrees, let alone 60 degrees. Then just a few days ago, um, I, I looked at 
I looked at an article that was speaking of these devastating floods that were taking place there in the United States. And they spoke of these floods as one in a thousand year flood. The only problem with that one in a thousand year flood is that we are beginning to hear that more and more often. Isn't that right? It used to be one in a decade, then one in a century flood. Now it's what? One in a 1,000 year flood. It's just happening more and more and more. Today, I do know one thing. Regardless of, of what the climate change debate may center on, regardless of, of what one group says or one group doesn't say, I do know that we are indeed destroying our environment. When I look at our waterways, when I look at our seas, when I look at our rivers, when I look at our, well, when, when I smell our air, especially in our large cities, I can tell that something is not right. We are indeed destroying our environment. What did the book of Revelation say? And that you should destroy those who destroy the earth. We are doing a great and grand job in destroying our environment. We ought to be looking after this environment. This world was given to us not to, not to use and abuse, but this world was given to us by God for us to take care of. We are, we are to be carers. We are to take care of this world that God has given to us. But God is one day preparing a new world. He's preparing a new world. You see, regardless of how well we take care of this world, the truth is that this world will never, ever be what God designed it to be. I love these words in the book of Revelation, chapter 21 and verse 1. At the end of the Bible, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, writes John. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also, there was no more sea. Aren't you looking forward to that day? When God will create a new heaven and a new earth. Yes, we need to take care of this world. But this world, sadly, cannot be fixed up by humans, no matter how hard we try. And we ought to do all we can. But this world needs God to intervene to create a new heaven and a new earth. Let's take a look at what Jesus had to say regarding earthquakes. Now, I find it interesting that Jesus chose earthquakes and he focused his attention on earthquakes. He could have looked at floods. He could have looked at cyclones. He could have looked at hurricanes. He could have looked at a number of fires. He could have looked at a number of other disasters that, that destroy uh, that destroy buildings and destroy, destroy things around us and take life. But he focused on earthquakes. I've been asking myself, why earthquakes? And I came to the conclusion that the reason why Jesus spoke of earthquakes is earthquakes, that is the only, that is the only natural disaster that you have no warning for. Have you ever thought about that? That's the only natural disaster you have no warning for. If there's a fire coming, you have some time. Even if, there is, um, if there's a flood coming, there's been lots of rain and so on and so forth. Um, if there's a cyclone, if there's a hurricane brewing, you have some warning. You have time to prepare. But an earthquake is the only natural disaster. You have no time to prepare. You have to be ready right now. Earthquakes, they claim the lives of more people than any other natural disaster because of the horrible destruction that follows an earthquake. Now, when it comes to earthquakes, I wanted to take a look at 
what's been happening in the world, especially in the past 100 years. Because you see, when it comes to earthquakes, uh, the skeptics and the scoffers will simply say earthquakes. They're not really signs at all. You can't say that 200 years ago, there were like five earthquakes recorded. And this year, there were 20,000 earthquakes recorded. Because today, we have the technology. Today, we have these fancy, dancy apparatus that can, that can pick up an earthquake, even if it's tiny, that no one else can pick up. But these instruments can pick it up, even though a human being may not be able to pick it up. And so that's fair enough. So I thought, yeah, that's true. So... I decided that I was going to take a look at great earthquakes. You see, I spent some time in New Zealand. Anyone here from New Zealand? Yes, I know there are some people from New Zealand. New Zealand, by the way, is the most beautiful country in the world. And I lived there for six years. I had a wonderful time there. One of our children were born there. And um, a beautiful place. Kiwis are just the most friendly, the most beautiful people in the world. And if there's any Kiwis out there watching, you are just the most beautiful people in the world. Although I'm Australian and I was born here, but I just love the Kiwis. And um, if it wasn't for their horrible beaches, especially where I lived, and the cold weather and being so far away from home and family, I would live there for the rest of my life. But anyway, I'm in New Zealand and, um, and I became well acquainted with earthquakes. Um, sadly, as, as we're well aware, New Zealand suffered a horrific earthquake a few years ago where, where 100 and something, 150, 60 people lost their lives there in Christchurch. And I remember the first earthquake that hit uh, whilst we were living in Palmerston North, towards the bottom end of the North Island, just north of Wellington. And it was the middle of the day and this earthquake hit and and my wife was in the kitchen. I was just there in the, in, in the lounge room and everything started to shake. I've never been in an earthquake before. Everything started to shake. And, and my wife comes out from the kitchen towards me and she gives me such an enormous hug, such as she's never given me before in her whole life. And I was like, oh, thank you for the earthquake, Lord. <laughs> as I thought about earthquakes, I decided I was going to take a look at what Jesus had to say about earthquakes. You see, in Luke chapter 21, in verse 11, Jesus said, there will be what? Great earthquakes in various places. So I decided to take a look at the great earthquakes, the earthquakes that you don't need a fancy dancy bit of equipment to tell you that there's an earthquake going on, but that you know an earthquake's going on. It's a huge earthquake. I decided to take a look at the mega titanic earthquakes in the last 100 years. So I went to the United States Geo uh, Geological Society website. They are the official earthquake monitoring um, uh, station. And I punched in great earthquakes in the past 100 years from the year 1900 up until our day. And I discovered that there have been 17 great earthquakes, 8.5 on the Richter scale and greater that have taken place from 1900 to 1912. Notice from 1900 to 1999. So that for the last 100 years for the in the 20th century, we had 11 earthquakes measuring 8.5 and greater. From 2000 to 2012, we had six. So one in every 10 years in the last century. And so far, up until 2012, we have had one every two years. Now that tells me that the labor pains are intensifying. Notice, 
9.0 and greater. Between 1900 and 1999, we had three. Thus far, in the last 12 years, we've had two great earthquakes. This is a sure sign, a sure sign that, <clears throat> that Jesus is on his way. Notice what Jesus said in Luke 21, 28. Now, when these things begin to happen, look up and lift up your heads because what? Your redemption is drawing near. When you see all these things taking place, when you see earthquakes, when you see commotion, when you see all the graphs heading north, then you know that my coming is near even at the doors. So it's not a time for us to be down and discouraged. It's not a time for us to look at one another. No, it's a time now for us to look up because our redemption is drawing near. Jesus is about to come. Those labor pains are about to come to the very end. The baby is about to be born. And in fact, this is what 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 13 says, Nevertheless, we, according to His promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. This is the great and grand promise that God has for those that put their faith and trust in Him. There is a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. There will no longer be any more pain and suffering and sorrow. That will be gone forevermore. But righteousness, that which is right, that which is part of God's plan, that which is part of God's will... That which is part of God's original design for us will be ushered in. Righteousness, everlasting righteousness. I love this promise at the back of the Bible in Revelation chapter 21 and verse 4. And God will wipe away what? Every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain for the former things have passed away. Don't you long for that day? Don't you long for the day when there'll be no more war, there'll be no more pain, there will be no more hungry children, there'll be no more families having to leave their homes because of all the pain and the suffering and the war and the conflict that is raging around them. There will be no more earthquakes. No more, no more. The former things have passed away. I love... This story I'm about to share with you, this story that tells us how close we are to the coming of Jesus and what we can learn from it. It's the story of Tilly Smith. Tilly Smith. Tilly Smith, along with her family, left England back in 2004 to head to warmer parts to enjoy their Christmas holidays. And Tilly, along with mum and dad and a seven-year-old sister, uh, went to Phuket there in Thailand to enjoy and celebrate Christmas together on those beautiful sandy beaches and enjoy that beautiful warm water and that warm climate. Tilly Smith is a hero. 11-year-old Tilly Smith, back then she was 11. In 2004, she's a hero. She had the opportunity of meeting the President of the United States of America at the time, President Bill Clinton. Why is she a hero? Why did Tilly Smith meet the President of the most powerful nation on earth? You see, on Boxing Day 2004, as Tilly Smith was playing there on the sand with her sister, she all of a sudden noticed the water beginning to recede 
there at the beach that they were on. There were bubbles. The boats were bobbing up and down. And immediately Tilly Smith remembered what her geography teacher had taught her and her classmates two weeks before signs before a tsunami strikes. She saw all the signs. And immediately she recognized that a tsunami was on its way. She went to her mother and father and she told them, Mom and Dad, there is a tsunami coming. Whilst, whilst the rest of the beachgoers were fascinated by what was taking place and um, were out there busy collecting shells and everything that had been uh, left behind as the water receded, Tilly Smith was calling for a warning. Her parents took her seriously, thank God. They gave the warning to the lifeguards. They evacuated every single person within a matter of minutes. And that was one of the only beaches, one of the very few beaches where not one person lost their lives. Tilly Smith gave the warning. She saw the signs. She gave the warning. And through her act of bravery, she saved a hundred people. She saved a hundred people. Jesus has given us warnings. They're in His Word. He wants us to be ready, not just us to be ready. He wants us to prepare others to be ready also. Would you like to be ready for the coming of Jesus? Would you like to be like Tilly Smith and encourage others to be ready for the coming of Jesus? If that's your desire, why don't you join me as we pray? Father in heaven, we just want to thank you so much for your word. We want to thank you so much for the promises you've given. Thank you for the signs you've given because you love us and you want us to be ready. Bless us now as we, as we continue this journey with you, Lord. Keep us close to you always. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. to Focus on God's Word with Pastor Danny Milenkov, a production of 3ABN Australia Television. If you have any comments or questions, send an email to radio at 3abnaustralia.org.au.